But the issue here is the issue of respect. While I may disagree with you on your views on sexuality, it does not give me a right to demean you, to demoralize you, to defame you, to turn you into a demon. Uh, uh, see, tolerance, uh, Pierce, used to mean we treat each other with mutual respect even if we have major disagreements. Today, tolerance has been changed to mean all ideas are equally valid. Well, that's nonsense, okay? It, it, all ideas are not equally valid. I mean, you, you could say the moon is made of cheese, and I could say the moon is made of beans, and somebody else is made of rock. But do, but do you believe in equality for all? Of course uh, they your do. heart. Right. Of course See, they th do. This is where I think I took issue with you before, and I will again, and, because and, how can you really, mm -hmm. as a Christian man, yeah. and a, a great man, how can you espouse genuine equality yeah. if you don't allow gay people the same rights to get married yeah. as straight people? That's a question that many, I think, would love to hear the answer I'd like to, to reposition it this way. I'm more against the redefinition of the term marriage than anything else. I don't think other groups get an opportunity to redefine a term. For instance, uh, uh, if a Muslim says this is the term we use, and all of a sudden I take that term and mean it for me. Well, that's not right. And I, I, I think historically around the world, the vast majority of people would say marriage means one man and one woman uh, uh, in, in a commitment. Don't take a term and make it something different. Orwell talked about doublespeak, where words mean the exact opposite of what they used to mean. And I'm going, okay, in the first place, it's not against the law uh, for you to love anybody, a man or a woman, okay? It's not criminal, at least shouldn't be. But when you start taking a term, then why are you taking that term? But that term is from the Bible, right? Well, I, certainly the Bible says God created marriage. Right. Yes. You see, my issue with that is there are many things in the Bible mm -hmm. which simply today wouldn't fly. Well, you know, I understand you, that I mean, you don't accept you, the Bible like I do. If you were to look at me in a lustful way or <laughs> any woman in this audience, according to the Bible, yeah. you should be stoned to death. Now, clearly we don't do yeah. that anymore. Yeah. So there okay, are a number of things in the Bible which seem very anachronistic. Yeah, okay, let me, let me explain. And therefore, I, one more time, I'm going to come back here. Because right. we're going to keep talking about this, I'm sure, for years to come. And eventually, I'll, I'll beat you down. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Pastor Joshua on the Saints Have Overcome Ministries. And today, I would like to talk about Rick Warren, about his methodology, about the way he propagates his lies and he twists the truth. You know, many of you, that we live in post-modern times. And that simply means a world without God that interprets the truth in the eye of the beholder and that everything is subjective. Nothing is absolute. There is no God. Everybody has become a God in their own eyes, in their household, at their jobs, in their families, and worst of all, even in the church. So as we just watched that clip on Rick Warren not being able to stand for the truth, He's tickling people's ears. He's telling them what they want to hear. He wants to be popular. 
ladies and gentlemen. How about this? We solve this issue by reading scripture. Now that clip you just watched was about homosexuality. And I'm going to preface this sermon by saying this. By no means do I have any hate towards a person practicing homosexuality. That's a lesbian, homosexual, transsexual, transgender, you name it. I'm not going to allow myself to go there and be discredited as a preacher. But when we let philosophy leak into our schools, leach into our lives, redefine the family. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is our job as Christians to put on the full armor of God and go to war, spiritually speaking. Let's read from the word of God and not try to please Pierce Morgan, shall we? Romans 1, verse 18. God's wrath on unrighteousness. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Notice something there. When people are acting unrighteous, it's natural for them to suppress the truth. The truth about God. The truth about our Messiah, Jesus Christ. The truth about soteriology, salvation. Carrying on to verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. So there's a certain type of revelation that people know about. And we call that general revelation. Sometimes people even hear the special revelation, the gospel, the revelation that brings salvation. And they still turn against God's grace. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. When you walk out, when you witness the stars, when you look at the moon, when you stare up at the Milky Way galaxy, you know there's a God. You know this is not by random chance. It's impossible. It can't be. When you witness a newborn baby, the leaves rustling through the wind, it's impossible. Carrying on, so they are without excuse. God's revelation, general revelation, special revelation, will condemn men if they don't repent, will condemn men if they're not regenerate by God. And remember, regeneration precedes faith. Faith is a confession of regeneration that God does alone. Like Jonathan Edwards said, that man brings nothing to salvation but their sin. 
so man is without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him or as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So when we sin continuously, when we sin without restraint, when we sin willingly, there's a darkness that overcomes us. And this darkness is brought about by the individual's desire to sin. Look at this, verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So these individuals knew of God through the cosmos, through the revelation, the general, the special, that they traded God for something cheap, creeping things. Look at society around us today. How we trade God for everything, for a new car, for a promotion, treating people bad at work, trading a wife in because a person wants a newer one, abandoning families because people don't want the responsibility because they want to practice wickedness, discrediting God, vowing to disown God, and exchanging God for creeping things, statues, images, idols. Therefore, God gave them up in their lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. People exchange God for every vile thing out there. There are people in marriages right now that are getting treated horribly that their partner is committing adultery, sinning against them, breaking their vows, and they're worshiping their marriage partner instead of God, exchanging him for an idol. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the dual penalty for their error. What is the due penalty? Their minds giving over to total depravity and darkness. There is no scarier judgment than this. So Rick Warren wants to please and he doesn't want to tell the truth. But sexual sin, especially the sin described in Romans chapter 1, is nothing but pure rebellion, ladies and gentlemen. The power of the resurrection is the power to let go of your past. And most people are stuck in the past. They got grief. They got guilt and they got grudges. 
They got habits and hurts and hangups. And you can't get on with the present because you're stuck in the past. That's the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection is the power to start over. And that's important because we all mess up a lot. And there's sometimes your life, I wish I could just do an etch-a-sketch, flip it upside down, clean the slate, start over. God says, the power of the resurrection gives you the power to start over. It's a fresh start. It's a new beginning. It's like being born again. It's like a fresh start. It's a new life. That's the power of the resurrection, the power to start over. Not only that, it's the power to keep going. You may have not realized this, but you probably have, that you run out of steam a lot of times before you get to the end of the assignment. And you go, wait a minute, I don't even know. I, 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 I have so much to do, but I feel like giving up. The power of the resurrection is the power to keep going when you're out of your own energy. God gives you the power to keep going. It is the power to change your life. There are things in your life you'd like to change, but you can't change them. You say, oh, yes, I can. I can change them. No, you can't. You say, yes, I can. If you could, you would. But you can't, so you won't. Do you know why you can't change the things in your life you want to change? Because willpower doesn't work. It only works for about six months. But you have a limited supply of willpower, and pretty soon you run out of it, and you give up, and you go off the diet, and you go back to the bad habits, and you go back to the bad relationships, and you start doing the same patterns that you were in messed up before that messed up other relationships before this one. You need more than willpower. You can't live the better life. You can live the good life on willpower. You can't live the better life on it because it takes God's power. You just heard Rick Warren talk about the resurrection. And I've never heard the resurrection so watered down when they keep focusing on the Easter bunny, talking about Easter eggs and Easter hunts. And I get all that. Well, actually, I don't. Because the resurrection is about Christ saving us from hell. Saving us from God's eternal wrath. The resurrection is not so you can live your best life now. It's not so you don't have any problems. Christ says there will be tribulation for us, suffering for us. In America, we're lucky. About 80% of the world's Christians are being persecuted one way or another. It's more of a motivational speech. It's watered down. It's dumbed down. It's telling people what they want to hear. But look what Christ says in John chapter 15 when he says, I am the vine. Are you ready to read, beloved? I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. What does that pruning signify? Adversity, trial, God's will. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Ladies and gentlemen, what does that mean? If we're not abiding in Christ, we're thrown into the fire where the worm never dies, gnashing of teeth, suffering for all eternity. You see, hell is absent of God's love, but hell is not absent of God's eternal wrath. God is there exercising His judgment for all the unrepentant fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, transgenders, swindlers, liars, extortioners, all of them. Let's read a story in Luke 16 about the rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, known as Abraham's bosom. The intermediate state before Christ was crucified and resurrected, and we were taken to paradise. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, which means he was a Jew. He knew the law. Have mercy on me. And saying Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. You want to talk about resurrection? It's not about living your best life now. It's not a motivational speech. It's about the place where we are not anguishing an eternal fire. Whether that's metaphorically beloved, whether that's literally, we know that it's symbolism used to stress a point stronger than the actual reality that's being talked about right now. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received many good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here. You are in anguish and besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm and it has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, 
lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convicted if someone should rise from the dead. Ladies and gentlemen, beloved, the resurrection isn't a feel-good sermon. It's not to live your best life now. The resurrection saved us from hell. We're predestined to be elect, to belong to Christ, the relationship with Christ, to spread the gospel of Christ. I urge all of you to disregard the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, the lies propagated by Satan. It's just not worth it in the end. It's not worth hell. So people ask me, Pastor Joshua, then what do I do? Pour yourself out for a living sacrifice. Are you telling anybody about Christ? Are you praying with anybody? Are you praying for anybody? I always tell people that don't speak the name of Christ is, how does one have the medicine when another person is dying and choose to hold on to it in secret? If that's you, are you really a Christian then? Beloved, the reason why I bring Rick Warren up is because he's like many preachers today filling stadiums, filling mega churches, and not speaking the truth. And I ask him and all false preachers to repent and start teaching the actual Bible, not telling people what they want to hear so they end up in the place of the rich man, gnashing of teeth, agony, and suffering for eternity. Why don't we bow our head in prayer? Father God, we thank you for saving us, for raising your Son from the dead. He had the power to raise himself from the dead. He is your Son. He is God. He is in the Trinity. He is separate. We cannot explain it. It's a beautiful thing, the resurrection. We ask that you reach people with the truth of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, the redemption of the resurrection. We ask that if anybody is hearing this message that just a simple prayer is not going to save you and everything's fine, that you experience regeneration, salvation, and a commitment to Christ beyond anything else. Mother, father, son, daughter, family, friends, the world, that you become a bondservant even unto death. In Jesus' name we pray.